Hey guys, what's up? My name is Tanner Powell. I work on staff for Summit College uh, at NC State. Any NC State in the house? Go Pat. Yeah, there we go. Awesome. So yeah, we're covering a very big topic today. One that really does encapsulate the entire Christian faith. Everything in the Christian faith that builds on our actions and our affections for God. Um, so it's a lot that we're going to cover. So the title is Duty and Delight, How We Obey God and How We Delight in God. I just want to start out by telling a story of this guy we knew. Um, his name is Derek. We'll just call him Derek. That's not his real name. But Derek was a friend of my mentor in college, and Derek was a fairly new believer when he came to college. Um, he just began trying to figure out what it meant to live the Christian life, like what it meant to read the Bible, what it meant to be in community, what it meant to do all these things. And to be honest, he, he had a pretty tough time. He was the kind of person you could just tell he was searching for something. He was longing for this joy finding somewhere, and he, he thought it could be in Christianity. But very slowly, it wasn't all of a sudden, he began looking elsewhere. It started by him just going on a lot of vacations. He started traveling with the world. He went to India, Korea, some places in Africa, just searching for the new adventure. And then he met a girl, and he started finding delight in her. And that led to a lot of sin in his life. He had idols he was building up that were greater than Jesus. And about three years of this, he completely walked away from it. And my mentor sat down with him, Derek, one day, and he pleaded with him to repent of these idols in his life, the sin that was going on with his girlfriend, and to turn back to Jesus. You know what he said? Derek said, I believe in Jesus. I believe he died. I believe he rose again, and he's at the right hand of God. But I don't want to follow him. I delight too much in this world. And that's honestly the tension we are dealing with today is when our delight does not match our duty. And to be honest, what we want does not always match what God calls us to do. Even for us Christians, our delight is not always in what God calls us to do. It's when we rather sleep in rather than to get up and spend time with God. It's when we rather scroll on Instagram or TikTok instead of reading the word. It's when we rather dwell in our anxiousness instead of praying about it. It's when we rather be comfortable than bringing up a spiritual conversation with our unbelieving friend. It's when we rather sit back and watch rather than standing up for injustice. This is the tension we feel, guys. We know what we ought to do, but we don't do it because we don't want to. Our entire life is made up of decisions. And we're gonna to have to ask, are we going to obey God or are we going to obey our desires? More so as Christians, we gotta ask the big question, why does our duty not always match our delight? Right? That's the big question we're gonna to have to ask today and we'll get to all that. But first, I want to let us know, like, what does our culture tell us about duty and delight? Because us Christians try to hold it in tension, but the culture completely separates the two. They say they are polar opposites. There cannot be delight in doing what someone else wants. If you want to do something, then you should do it. That's what culture says. If you don't want to do something, don't do it. If you want to watch one more episode on Netflix, even though you should go to bed, you should do it. If you don't want to make your bed up or clean your room or do anything, then you don't have to do it. That is what culture is trying to tell us. 
And even as Christians, we, we automatically do this. We make the decisions all the time. I'm sure a lot of you guys may even felt that this morning. Am I going to get up and get in the Word, or am I just going to keep sleeping until I have to get up? I feel that all the time. And I think it's because our culture has rubbed off on us Christians more than we think. What we are supposed to do is completely different um, than what we want to do sometimes. It's completely dependent on our own wants and desires. So it's dangerous for us Christians for many reasons that we fall into this trap. It is ultimately because when we obey our own wants and desires, it has total neglect for God and total neglect for neighbor. It totally leaves out the greatest commandment for us Christians. Love God, love neighbor. Completely leaves it out. It says um, that we are supposed to delight in what we want. That's what culture says. Delight equals doing what we want. And it says that if we want delight, then we shouldn't obey anyone. Not God, not our parents, no one. Only ourselves. And can we just take a side note for a second? This is completely illogical. Let's, let's admit that. Why, who, why would we who are lacking delight search within ourselves to try to find it? It is like if I was at home and I knew we were just out of food. We had no food in the house. And I said, oh, I really need some food. I'm going to go to the kitchen and try to find it. There's no food in the house. I have to go to the store, the source, the giver of those things. The same is with our delight, guys. If we are lacking delight, we can't look within ourselves. We have to go to the source, the creator, the giver of all joy, and that is God himself. That is what culture has done. It has completely separated God from our delight. But where culture has separated duty and delight, the Bible brings them back together. The Bible gives us a picture of obedience to God and joy in God that's just completely, almost inseparable. They go together. Even in the grand redemptive story of the Bible, we see in the beginning, God created man and woman in his image, and they were to obey him and delight in God. But we know in Genesis 3 that man did not delight in God as they should. They wanted to be God. They wanted to be like him. And so they disobeyed God. And our delight and our obedience completely separated. That's what sin has done. It has corrupted the things we delight in. And we no longer obey God for those reasons. It has corrupted human nature. But what sin has separated, what the world has separated, Jesus came to bring it back together. Deuteronomy 30, one of my favorite chapters in the entire Old Testament, verse 6 says, talking about the coming day of the Holy Spirit, Christ coming, the Holy Spirit coming upon us, where he is going to give us a new heart, a heart that is going to be, that can love God as we are supposed to, that we can delight in God as we are supposed to. And then chapter 30, verses 11 through 14 say that with this new heart, the things that we are supposed to do are not too hard for us anymore. This new heart that delights in God can now obey God. It brings back in Jesus Christ the things that the world and sin has completely separated. One of, my, um, one of my favorite books of the entire Bible that talks so much about duty and delight going together are the Psalms. And Psalm 119 is probably the best chapter, the best um, Hebrew poet, poetry that ever written. And it talks so much about duty and delight. I just want to read for you from Psalm 119, verse 24. It says, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. It says, duties are my delight. Verse 47, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. 
69 and 70 says, The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart, my whole delight, I keep your precepts, your duty. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law, duty. 77, let your mercy come upon me that I may live, for your law is my delight. If your law has not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Even in affliction, the duty is the delight for the psalmist. 143, trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. 174, for I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. It's all throughout the psalm. Over and over, your law is my delight. My delight is in your law. Another psalm, one quick verse that really just sums it up is Psalm 40, verse 8. It says, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. This is saying, I delight in your duty, God, because your duty has become my delight. And this is because as Christians, we are being transformed in the new life in the new heart that we are given in Christ, duty and delight are brought back together. And they feed off each other. They feed off each other. Our delight leads us to duty. And then our duty leads us back to light. They go hand in hand. You cannot separate the two in the Christian life. So we know what the Bible says about duty and light, but why do we really need both? That's a big question. Why, do we, why can't we just have one without the other? Well, I think I'll give you two answers. First, I'll give you the simple answer. Simple answer is the Bible commands both. God wants both. He doesn't just want us to obey him. He doesn't want, just want us to delight in him. No, he wants all of us, our affections and our actions, all of it. And also, I really do believe, the second reason is that this is for our good. Honestly, it's for our good in the Christian life because it is treacherous to have one without the other. If we only focus on duty and neglect delight, we'll just get frustrated and bitter towards God and other people when we are just doing but not enjoying it. Obeying without delighting can lead to burnout and eventually leaving the faith altogether. Just think of Derek that I mentioned the story earlier. He did not delight in God. He didn't delight in the things God calls us to. Oh, goodness. He did not delight in the things God called us to. But... um. Yeah, sorry about that. But yeah, he, um, he, want, he wanted things of this world. The things that we, um, as Christians, have to say no to. We have to fight to delight in God. So I think what we have to ask now is, why do some people um, neglect one or the other? I think it's something that we all tend to do. And so I want to cover really the big thing. So why would some people neglect duty? And then why would some people neglect delight? So I'm going to give you two, two of each. These are not exhaustive. These are just a couple of quick ones. The first one I see why people neglect their Christian duty is inauthenticity. They say, well, I don't think I should just obey because I feel like I'm being authentic, inauthentic if I don't, don't feel like doing it. I'm not really being true to myself or my desires. And I think this is wrong for a lot of reasons, but mainly because it assumes that the only reason we obey is because we want to. And that's not true. We don't, as Christians, just obey God because we want to. We obey God because of who we are in Christ. 
When we surrendered to Christ, we surrendered everything, absolutely every aspect of our life, what we do, our future, everything, our affections. So it is really not rooted in our own desires, but it's rooted in who we are in Christ. Authenticity is not found in our emotions. Our authenticity is founded in our identity, which is in Christ. In Christ, our identity never changes. Therefore, we are always being authentic when we obey Christ. Whether we feel like doing it or not, we are being authentic when we obey Christ because we are now have been adopted into God's family and are sons and daughters of the Most High King. So I'm going to go on to the next one. Next one is um, legalism. I know when we hear the word duty, we get scared because we think legalism. I think that's just our culture and our church today. But really, I think this just has a wrong understanding of duty and legalism. They're not the same thing. So here, let me give you a definition of what legalism is. Legalism is doing something, modifying your behavior in order to earn salvation from God, in order to earn it. That is not what we mean by duty. We don't obey God because we have to or we're trying to get anything from him. We can do nothing to earn our salvation. We have already been given everything in Christ in the gospel. The gospel is Christ came to do what we couldn't. What we mean by duty is the response to this amazing grace we have. We don't obey God because we have to, but because we love to. We don't turn from sin because we have to, but because we have been rescued from sin. So duty is not trying to earn anything in the gospel. Duty is our response to this great free gift that we have been given in Christ Jesus. So it is not legalism at all. So I want to move on to, so there's just a couple of the reasons why people neglect duty. I want to move to why some people might neglect delight. So um, the first one is changing emotions. So some people say, why should I fight to delight in God when my emotions are constantly changing? And that's a good argument because, you know, what? it's partially true. I think everyone in this room can admit that we have changing emotions. I have changing emotions. I, I, I feel hungry. I feel anxious. I feel happy. I feel sad, like all in the same day, all the time. Um, it's kind of crazy. And I think we have to like admit that to some degree. But that does not mean we neglect delight in God. Even though the statement is partially true, it is, it is different because it assumes that our delight in God equals this constant happy, bubbly feeling that we feel all the time. That's not true. Delighting in God is not this happy, bubbly feeling all the time. It is something a little different. Now, now they sometimes do go hand in hand. Our delight can lead to this happy emotion that we feel. But oftentimes, they conflict with the emotions that we're currently having. I think Jonathan Edwards, a great theologian, like really did hit that um, in Christian Affections, his book. When he talks about the Christian Affections He is talking about this deep, strong inclination towards God. And it may often conflict with our changing emotions. Affections aren't less than our emotions. There's something deeper, something more rooted. And so I just want to compare the two. So where affections, affections are long-lasting, enduring, where emotions are fleeting, they're changing all the time. Affections are deep really deep-rooted, where emotions are superficial. 
They're a little more on the surface. Affections are consistent with our beliefs. They're consistent with the truth of the gospel, the things that we believe as Christians, where emotions, yeah, they, they affect our feelings sometimes. And they may be overpowering, but oftentimes they don't align with the truth. Our affections will result in action. We truly believe something with our soul that will result in action, whereas a lot of time emotions, we may act on it, we may not. It doesn't always result in action. And then lastly, affections involve more than feelings. It involves the mind and the will. The truth that we believe in this will of submission to God, that is our deep affections, that delight, where emotions are oftentimes only feelings. They're disconnected from the mind and the will. We may feel sad and we may speak truth over ourselves and we may still feel sad in some ways, but our affections are deeper. Therefore, we can still delight in God in our affections, this deep-rooted delight, and still feel sorrow, still feel pain, still feel frustration and sadness. And lastly, I just want to cover suffering. I think that is a big reason especially right now, of why a lot of us just stop delighting in God. And I don't, I don't include this with emotions, mainly because suffering with the, is a little more, it oftentimes is rooted in our current circumstances that we oftentimes can't change, and a lot of times they're long-lasting. They're, they're not fleeting as much. They're a little more enduring. So, and I just want to acknowledge that if you're going through suffering right now, and probably a lot of you guys are, I want to acknowledge that it's, it's not easy. However, I do want to encourage you because I do believe that the Bible tells us there is delight still for you in that. So I just want to point us to why there's delight. I think all throughout the Bible, we see examples of people who go through traumatic suffering yet find as deep-rooted affection, this deep-rooted delight in God. Think about the Apostle Paul. One of the greatest examples right here. Paul commands us in Philippians 4.4. Now remember, Paul had been shipwrecked, beaten, rebuked, rejected, stoned, all the above. Tons of suffering in his life. And what does he say in Philippians 4.4? He says, rejoice always in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice he is joyful in the Lord. He's commanding other Christians to rejoice, even though he's in prison writing this. And at the end of the chapter, he goes on to say, I know how to be brought high. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. I know how to lack. So that in all things, I can delight in God still. I can endure. Because he has this deep-rooted affection for Jesus' delight that is not overpowered by his current suffering. And if we want to top Paul, I think we have to look to Jesus. Jesus who endured the greatest suffering of all time, the cross, taking on the whole wrath of sin upon himself, endured suffering yet with joy. Hebrews 12, 2 says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus delighted in submitting to the Father's will, going to the cross, even though his emotions didn't want to. He sweated blood. He did not, his emotions told him no, but he delighted in going to the cross because he had a greater, an eternal delight, an eternal joy in obeying the Father, defeating sin, restoring his church to himself. He had a great hope. 
So I promise you that whether you're enduring suffering right now or not, there is still delight for you. We see that in Jesus. We see that in Paul. We see it all throughout Christian history. Tons of Christians enduring terrible suffering, yet finding true delight. So those are just a couple of the four obstacles to obeying God and delighting in God that I'm going to cover. There's a ton more, and I would love to talk. So I'm going to invite Amy and Logan to join me on the stage. Give it up for them a little bit. Yeah, and we're going to throw a number up on the screen that um, you can just text your questions to. So we're going to have a conversation on more the how to do this. And um, yeah, we'd love for you to ask any questions, any of us. We'll just kind of talk about them, discuss them up here. Um, So yeah, you can text the number. It'll come to me on my laptop, and we'll talk to them. Um, Logan forgot something. But anyways, Amy, why don't you... Is that on? Hello. Okay, cool. It is. So, um, so speaking of duty and light, <laughs> sorry, they wanted me to make this joke. So speaking of he duty. He wanted to make a duty joke. We have he to make was like, a duty we can't joke. get through this whole thing without talking about duty. Yeah, we have to make a duty joke up here. So speaking of duty, what is your favorite Taco Bell item? <laughs> That's good. Logan and I both love Taco Bell. Um, I love Doritos Locos Tacos. I think they're incredible. I'm really upset that they took away the two other flavors and now only have nacho cheese. But I I love flavorful things. And so I think it's incredible that they took just like a plain hard taco shell and like put something good into it. Um, Before I share my item, I just want to address all the haters out there because I know that's probably 90% of of you guys. (laughs) Um, Written by, I know the Washington Post and many others that Taco Bell is one of the healthiest fast food restaurants in America. It's true. Thank you. Um, My favorite item um, at Taco Bell would be to get a chalupa and add, there's this chipotle, either mayo or ranch, that is in the cheesy gordita crunch. Put that in the chalupa and it is dreams. You should, you guys gotta do it. (laughs) I only Customize. do that when I'm feeling rich because it's like $3 versus $1, but it's, it's worth it. I like it. Uh, I'm a beefy five-layer burrito guy because it's a dollar, and it'll fill you up, and it's good. It's classic. For about five minutes, it's good. I think um, they took that off their new menu. Oh, they did? That's so tragic. <laughs> but, oh, well. Oh, it's, it's still the best one out there. So, hard transition here. We're going to talk about duty and delight. So at the end, I was mentioning just a couple of the reasons why some people um, either neglect duty or they neglect the light. Um, so talking about inauthenticity, um, legalism, and other things. What other things have you seen that keep people from either obeying God or delighting in God? Yeah, I think when you're talking about legalism, I think one thing I think about with this is like in Galatians 5, it talks about how like, like for freedom, Christ has set us free. And it says like, I can't remember the last part now, but um, like one part of it is saying like, do not submit yourself again to a yoke of slavery, but also do not let your freedom be an opportunity for the flesh. And so I think you're hitting on a lot of like, do not let that freedom be an opportunity for the flesh. But I think also like with legalism, I think it can just be really easy, not even for us to like be in, like this headspace of works righteousness, like I'm er trying to earn my salvation, but just make our Christian walks into a list of like do's and don'ts and like neglect the joys of a relationship with God. I think I've just seen that a lot in my life. Like it's just really easy to go through the motions of like, I'm doing these 
things of like D group and church and um, family group and all of these things and like forget about our heart, like our hearts be far from God. Like I think just reading the Old Testament even, I've just seen more and more how like the Israelites were doing all these good things, but their hearts were so far from God. Like their hearts were just like far off and hardened and they were doing all these right things outwardly. But I think if we forget about the heart, like even in ministry, I I can see this in myself a lot um, of like doing these things and having these conversations. And yet like my heart is like really prideful and my heart is like seeking other things and not delighting in God. And so I think with that, I think we just need to be careful to remember the heart. Like God, God sees and cares about the heart, not just like our outward actions. Yeah, I think um, another one that does tie into it, I'll talk about it in a little bit, but um, I just think uh, right now, Charles was just talking about it, this idea of individualism, uh, that's something that's really prevalent in our culture. Um, and I think especially during COVID and specifically during quarantine, I think every single one of us got into this mode of my time is my time, right? Like every single minute of the day, I want to do what I want to do because I have to be in my room or in my house for months. Um, And I think that that has driven us to this kind of radical individualism um, post-quarantine, where even now that we're in community and and living with other believers and things like that, we still have that mindset of my time is my time, and so I'm going to do what I want to do. And so I think to tie it into what you're saying, I think we have right now a lack of fear of God, and so because of that lack of fear and reverence for God, we are just basically really kind of being individualistic and and being really selfish with our time because right now we don't see that God is holy enough, he is worthy enough um, to actually spend time with in the morning or um, in the afternoon or throughout your day to actually delight in him or to um, to, to do your your duty with him. And so I think um, that individualism is something that is, is really, really plaguing kind of our mindsets at the moment that is kind of affecting how we're wanting to do do duty and and, and delight in the Lord. Yeah, I think you actually mentioned this before too, like even this term of like cheap grace, like how we can just like not do like the like duties or like the good obediences of the Christian faith and like kind of just like claim the, the like grace of Jesus on us, which obviously like the grace of Jesus like covers us, but to use that as an excuse, like when Paul says, shall we sin more so that grace should abound? By no means. Um, but I think that term like cheap grace kind of encapsulates some of that too. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think when we think about the uh, new covenant that we have in Christ, it comes with, I was mentioning earlier, this new heart that is... Um, and can delight in God, and we are have the Holy Spirit dwelling us, changing our affections. And why do our affections not always match? It's because of our flesh. It's because of sin in our life, and like sin around us, we are still waging war against sin. And I think I think Romans seven like covers this like grace. One of my favorite passages is like really wrestling with the flesh that we do what we don't delight in all the time. We don't really, um, we, we, we know that we are to delight in God and obey God, but yet sin and the world just wages so much war against us. And at the climax, Paul is crying out, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Oh, praise be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. And leading into Romans 8, 1, there's therefore 
now no condemnation in Christ. So I think it, it even comes through, like you say, like speaking the gospel and truth over yourself, that this is not cheap grace, but something that Christ came and like paid for in that, which I think is really big. So um, just a question uh, that people are asking is like, so what does duty and delight look like practically? So we can start with, um, we'll just do either one actually. Just so maybe we start with duty and say, what does duty look like practically? Maybe when we feel like it and when we don't, and then we'll cover maybe delight. What does that look like practically? Yeah, uh, to go into to duty first, I think, um, I know that this is going to sound dumb, but whatever is in here, that is duty. <laughs> and I think, um, I think whenever, whenever I think of duty, I think of James, the book of James is just very, very practical. It's very like, hey, these are the things to do. Uh, James 1 um, is basically um, a summary of James 2 through 5 in small little paragraphs. And so if you study James 1 and go through that, that's a great place to start. Um, when you're looking biblically, what does it look like to... Um, um, to follow like God's laws and, and like what he's asking us to do. But, um, so that is from the, the biblical perspective. And I think just practically, um, I think, you know, when in, in our heads, our immediate thought is, oh, read your Bible in the morning and pray. Um, th- those are the things, that's it. And uh, I would challenge you guys that there's so much more to it. I mean, exactly what Charles was talking about, like loving your neighbor and, um, you know, caring for for the poor, like, Literally, there's a verse that says, uh, to care for the, the orphans and widows, this is the gospel, right? So where, why are we not doing that, right? That is, an, that is a part of, of duty. That is a part of us being an active brother or sister of Christ is caring for the person next to you. And so I think there are so many aspects of, of um, the duty of a Christian that we just don't think about. And I think when we think, man, my time in the word has dried up, that means I'm not feeling the Lord. But the thing is, there is so much more to this Christian walk than just your time in the Word. Of course, like, please continue that. And that is, you know, part of obedience that we are called to know and love and cherish the Word of God because it is a delight to us. It enlightens the eyes. It enriches the soul. Um, but I think there's also aspects of loving your neighbor that is talked about um, immensely all throughout Scripture and um, sharing the gospel and making disciples and uh, con- continually praying with the Lord. So, you know, we can't give you a list of like, hey, here are all the things you have to do to be a Christian. Um, but I think there are so many aspects of the Christian walk that just give us delight. And I know for me, um, a practical step for me has been when it's harder for me to get in the word or, or not feeling it, um, not really wanting to. Um, something I do is I try to encourage other people. Um, and that has been a great way that's like really encouraged me to actually, you know, have delight in duty is, all right, maybe I'm not have it, you know, maybe I, I'm going to do this, but I'm not really feeling it. I'm going to just try to encourage someone else and hopefully it blesses them and like cares for them in that. So, um, like I said, there, I mean, there's so many things you can go into when you talk about the duty of Christian, but yeah, that's good. Yeah. I would say too, with duty, I think in hearing the words like duty or obedience, we think of like, when I hear obedience, I think of like, if your mom was like, go clean your room and you were like, why? And she's like, cause I say so, you know, when I, and I think if, if we think about like duty and obedience in the Christian life in that way, I think we're I think we're missing out on what God intended for it to be. I mean, we'll get into more of that later. But I, I think that like we we need to like claim seeing like obedience and duty actually as God being 
like, like, hey, like, this is, this is actually really good for you, and I know it is good for you, but, like, I'm gonna, like, actually, I'm gonna enter into this with you, like, partner with me in this, like, I think we need to see obedience and spiritual disciplines as, like, an invitation to a relationship, and obedience in, like, every other aspect of our life as, like, partnership with God, like, from Genesis to, like, God, like, like called Adam to partner with him and naming the animals and like toiling on the land. Like he, he invites us continually into partnership with him. And I think too, it can be like, it can be hard. Like I find my heart not trusting that what God calls me to do is good. And I think I just, I think we just really need to sit and really believe, like, do you really believe that all of God's words for you are good? That everything he would call you to do is actually good for you? It is good for your soul. It is good for your walk with him. And, like, really sit in that. And I I think I've gone back to John 6 when I love this passage and Jesus is, like, talking to his disciples and he's basically like, I'm the bread of life. And... Um, he's basically like eat like eat of my flesh like like I am your food and a lot of the like disciples walked away from him basically and he turned to the ones that are left and were like are you, are you also going to leave and and they say like Lord to whom would we go you have the words of eternal life like we have we have come to see and believe that you are the holy one of God and so I I think we just need to like deep down like just like believe and trust that like all of God's words and all of God's callings of our life are like truly good, even if we like don't see it right now. Like I think we need to have like this desperation of like, Lord, like to whom would we go? Like where else would we find goodness? Why, why would we go anywhere else for goodness? Um, and if I could share like a, a story, I think I think I learned a lot about this my senior year of like college. I was just like having a really hard time and just like walking through depression. And I was just like really clinging. Like I I was just like, all I have is God. All I have is his word. Like it it really was my lifeline in a lot of ways and so desperate for him. And in the midst of that season, God called me to like what I would probably say is the hardest step of obedience he's called me to um, of like confronting my dad of like, how he was abusive to me growing up. And I think, like, in that, I, I'm, like, so confident. Like, I, I couldn't have done that if in that season I hadn't been so desperate for God of, like, I, I am clinging to you. I have nothing but you. And, um, like, I really believe I, I wouldn't have been able to obey um, in that had I not had, like, people praying over me and just, like, this confidence that God would never turn his face from me. And, like... And to be honest, I, like, didn't really see fruit from that. Like, I didn't see immediate, like, <laughs> like repentance from him or anything. But I'm, like, I got to partner with God. Like, I got to partner with God in his work in my dad's life. What? Like, he would use me in that, like, to proclaim, like, Dad, I forgive you. And, but, like, my forgiveness can't cleanse you. Like, you need, like, the blood of Jesus to cleanse and forgive you. Um, but I just, I just think that it was so beautiful. Like, I, I didn't see this immediate fruit, and it was, like, the hardest thing I've done. Like, I was literally, like, shaking the whole time. But, but I got to partner with God. Like, I, I think we need to think of obedience as, like, this. Like, God is using us. That's awesome. Why would, why would he choose us? That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's so good. I, I, you brought up a point of that it is, it is um, we partner with God for our good, in a way. Uh, I, think, I think we oftentimes think that God doesn't want what's best for us and that it's not for our good. But um, I think 
John Piper's most famous for this. It's like saying that like our, uh, God's glory is tied to like our goodness for us. Our delight in good, good in life is tied to God's glory. What God wants is what is ultimately best for us. And so they, they kind of go hand in hand. Like we are searching for this delight. All of us are searching for it. And it is not found in anything else but in God himself and glorifying God through our obedience. And um, I think that's why he says that God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. I think that that is really just an important like, link there to like seeing God does want us to delight. God does want what's good for us, even if we don't see it. We're not God. We don't see it, but God does want what's good. And that, that leads us to obedience. Yeah. Um, I also um, definitely agree. I think that is so encouraging. And I think it's uh, really helpful for a reminder. Um, but I do want to speak to those of you and to, to myself who is going through a season of suffering. Because I think you hear that and you're like, okay, great. Well, where is mine? <laughs> right? Where is my joy? Um, where is my satisfaction? Because I haven't seen that in over a year. And I know that that's so many of you guys, and that's me as well. Like, I've had a rough, rough past year. Um, And so don't think that us three in any way have accomplished these two things, right? Like, just like Charles was saying, this is us speaking from process. Um, And so I want to speak to you guys. I think it's really helpful, um, and I know this often is the answer for so many things in the Christian life, but we should probably listen to it, is we have to remember the gospel, and not just the the gospel, but where we come, you know, our part in that, um, and how that gives us delight. Um, I think it's easy for us um, to go from a place of um, duty only, and I have to work in order, kind of like legalism in a way, I have to work in order to get this certain thing. Um, or to get this happiness from God or whatever. Um, and I often explain it's like this. Uh, you know, if um, Mitchell here is like, hey, man, can you move my line? I'll give you $5. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm, I'll, I'll do that. That's fine. Five bucks, you know, that's the chalupa I was talking about earlier. So that's pretty solid. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mow his line. I don't want to, right? Um, I'm probably going to complain. I'm not going to be excited to do it the entire time, but I'm going to do it. Um, so that's one side of the thing. And then let's say I had a huge debt, millions of dollars, and Mitchell's like, hey, man, don't have to do anything. I'm just going to pay it off for you. My response would be like, Mitchell, what can I do for you? I will mow your lawn every day for the next five years. <laughs> like, it does not matter. I want to do literally anything for you. And that is kind of how we are with God, is often we are in the first bucket when we're in that place of suffering, is we are complaining and griping, and, and we, do, we still do the thing, you know, the Christian things that are expected of us, um, but we complain the whole time, and it's because we're just trying to work to get back to normal. Um, but if instead we remember that we've already been forgiven, that we already have been given grace, and we have new mercies every morning, as it talks about in Lamentations, like, if we are going from that place and constantly reminding ourselves, having our friends remind us, hey, like you are in a place, uh, you are a child of God, you are holy and blameless in his sight. Like if you remember that and then you're working out of that place, that is where a lot of the delight will, will finally come is when we actually remember that kind of stuff. So I just want to share that for those that are suffering like myself is like we have to constantly go back to that and remember in the, like the very first thing, okay, God has forgiven me and now I'm going to act out of that place.
Yeah, so questions a lot of, uh, one of you guys are asked is really good. Is It says, our emotions tend to make us want to push away. So how can we delight more in doing the Lord's work when forcing ourselves to stay consistent and persistent regardless of our emotions? Wait, can you say that one more time? Yeah, <laughs> sorry, this is kind of long. But our emotions tend to make us want to push away from God. So how, how can we delight more in doing God's work, so like obedience, when forcing ourselves to stay consistent, persistent, regardless of our emotions? Like how do we do this regardless of our emotions and ways? That's a good question. Yeah, I feel like I'm thinking of kind of like two camps maybe. For me personally, the way I've seen my emotions like kind of make me like turn away from God is when I'm like really frustrated seeing like the suffering of the world, which I mean, I think probably is kind of, hopefully, I think maybe a lot of you guys relate to that. There's a lot going on in the world. Um, but I would say for that, one thing I've learned, because I, I think a lot of times when I've seen this throughout my life, I've been afraid of like being really frustrated at it because it, it like makes me frustrated with God. But I think something that I actually started praying a couple months ago, I was like, God, I pray that you would make me like angrier for what angers you. Like, I pray that you would make me angrier at sin and injustice. Like, I I actually think, I'll explain this, but I I think we don't need to be like less angry, like lessen our emotion. I think we actually need to be more angry. Like, God is infinitely more angry at like sin and injustice than we can understand. And it it grieves like his heart. Like I think sometimes we think like we're informing God on something that like he's not aware of or like we're here and God's not there yet. But it's like God is here. God is like grieving this injustice. God is displeased with this. And I think a lot of times like we're we're afraid to feel that. We're afraid to sit in anger. We're afraid to like sit in frustration and like just like rage at injustice. And I, I think like I think we actually if we like were to continue to like sit in it and bring it to God, we'd actually like, I think it brings us closer to the heart of God. Like I think we get to reflect kind of like God's anger at injustice and sin in like actually sitting in that rather than in fear turning from it. Because I think that's another way we partner with God, right? Like then bringing these things before him of God, like I'm so desperate for you. I'm so angry at this. Like God, please like you do this. And like, okay, so I see this, like God, like use me in the world to do justice. And so I I think in that way, that's how I've kind of seen my emotions, I think, turn me from God in some ways. But I think it was just like a wrong view of feeling like I needed to suppress my emotions in order to delight in God in that way when I don't think that's true. Yeah, I was was actually thinking the exact same thing that oftentimes we think emotions are ours and then, you know, every other aspect of ourselves, oh, that's for God, you know, but what would it look like if our emotions are from God and for God, right? If I am sad and upset and crying, you know, what if that is God breaking my heart for injustice, breaking my heart for, even if it's like, you know, something silly, like, oh, I, like, you know, my friend said something that hurt me. It's like, well, it makes sense that that makes you sad because God doesn't like broken relationships. And so even if, that is, you know, a, um, a result of human sin, that's still a reflection of who God is. And so, um, I mean, when you look at the Psalms, 40% of the Psalms are lament Psalms. And that is not our culture, right? Our culture is, I think if you look at um, CCM, Christian Contemporary Music, 
and you look at the top 100 songs, I think it's like <laughs> five of them are lament psalms. They're lament songs, which is insane. But I think it just shows that our culture is very much as, as especially as Christians, you have to be happy, you have to be up, you have to have it all together, all of these things. That is not at all the reflection of Scripture. Scripture comes from a place of brokenness. I mean, how many psalms do you start with David just weeping, right? He says, I fill my couch with tears. I'm like, I have, I have never cried that much. Like, I, I have cried many times, but not that much. You know, it's like, that is the place that David is coming from. But you never see his emotions run from God. Even if he's frustrated at God and he's mad at him, he's not running from him with his emotions. He is throwing all of his emotions at God and saying, God, answer me. Be there with me in my emotions. And so I think, you know, exactly what you're saying is like, we we shouldn't separate emotions from God, but instead step in um, to God with our emotions and say, hey, God, what's going on inside of me? Why am I crying? Why am I randomly upset? You know, why did, why is, why did I just get anxious? That makes no sense, God. What is going on? Right. And I I think God is really going to meet you there. And I think it is going to help us even just as Christians and Christian culture understand emotions in a much more healthy light. Yeah, I love that you brought up the lament psalms because I think we oftentimes think that everyone in the Bible is just like this happy, joyful person that never questions God or anything all the time. But I think the lament psalms are so powerful because they have true, raw feelings about God. But a characteristic of every lament psalm you can look in, it has this lament, this cry, this like why God moment, but is oft always coupled with a section of confidence, a section of truth, where the psalmist proclaims truth over the lament, in the midst of the lament. And so in a way, the psalmist is not like turning away from his emotions. He is tying his emotions into the word of God. And I think that that is something that we have to fight to do as Christians, is saying like, I'm not gonna let my emotions just run me wild. No, I'm gonna tie it to the word of God, as you were saying, and really believing truth. Um, in the midst of that and, and really letting that um, fuel like your obedience and your delight in a lot of ways like that you can still be sad and have those two things um, because the psalmists do they, they have this joy for God even in the midst of questioning God um, and a lot of time feeling this pain and all, all suffering yeah I would say too with like the other side or not necessarily the, <laughs> not really the other side but with like joy and delight in God. Like, I think sometimes my tendency can be separate, can be to separate things that I really love. Like, I really love food. I really love nature. I really love relationships. And I I can separate that from, like, my joy and delight in God and then feel like, oh, well, I'm, like, delighting in these things, like, too much, but not, not in God. And, and I think, I think, something that we need to do is like also not separate those things like those things were literally created to like reflect like a piece of like God's glory and like the joy we can have in God like those things aren't separate from it like I think sometimes when I find myself like apathetic towards God I'm delighting in a lot of other things and I'm just like not really delighting in like my time in the word or um in prayer and I'm I think what can help a lot of times is like when I'm delighting in these things like nature and like a good Taco Bell Doritos Locos taco, I like be like, God, like this is so good. You created all these like flavors and it's so good. Like food, like that, I mean, think about that. The fact that God created food actually 
for us to enjoy rather than for everything to taste like water. You know, like just plain. I don't really like water that much. And then in nature, like think about how many like types of trees there are. Look, it's great. I'm like, why wouldn't you just create like one type of tree? You know, like that would have been sufficient for no oxygen. No two trees on this earth are the same. <laughs> it's crazy. That is wild. <laughs> but it's like, whoa, God is a creative God who created these things to reflect his glory. Like as much as we delight in those things, like we shouldn't just sit in that, but like let that like, move you to greater joy in God. Like, I just think we don't, we should like not separate those things. Yeah, it's like we, we box our Christian life into like being yeah. a monk or a nun. And we're just yeah. like, those are the things that are Christian. Everything else is of this world and I can't enjoy any of it. <laughs> That's like not at all how God has created things. Yeah, yeah I, you guys are starting to hit on a big question people are having. So like, what does it look like practically to grow in your delight for God? Because I, I know all of us go through seasons and maybe probably are in a season where we want to grow in delighting in the Lord. So what practically can we do to cultivate that? Yeah, the first thing I thought of um, is there is actually this study done by doctors. This is not a Christian study in any shape or form, but um, doctors that they were working with a lot of mental health patients and um, they were having them at the end of their day write three things that they're thankful for. Um, and they found out over multiple months that every single one of them changed drastically. Um, and so they actually even created an app. I think it's called Three Things. Check me on that. I'm, that might be wrong. But um, basically for us to be able to do that. Um, and it makes sense because it <laughs> lines up with Scripture so much, right? Obviously, like, there is so much Scripture that talks about being thankful and um, that being just an aspect of the Christian life is being thankful for what he's doing. Um, and so I think that's, like, a really simple, practical step is even if it is at the end of your day, write one thing that you're thankful for that happened that day, um, something that you can uh, give God glory for. Um, and I think it's helpful to remember there's a psalm that says that we um, proclaim his faithful love in the morning, his steadfast, or his steadfast love in the morning and his faithfulness by night. And I love that because it says his faithfulness by night, that no matter what has happened in your day, God has been faithful. Right? He was not surprised by your day, <laughs> even if it went terribly. He was not surprised by your day. He was still faithful. And then you, you, know, you tie that to Romans 5, and you see like rejoice in suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, character, and hope. And so if you're in a place of suffering, it's not that we rejoice in suffering because suffering is awesome, and we all love suffering, because that is obviously not true. <laughs> but we rejoice in suffering knowing that, right? Knowing that God is working on us in that place, in the place of suffering, that he is growing us in endurance, character, and hope. Um, and so... Even if you've been through suffering, at the end of the night, you can still proclaim God's faithfulness because that means he, he's growing you during that time. Um, and so I think that is like a really practical step is just start writing down things every day that you're really thankful for. And I think it's going to help you um, kind of enlighten your eyes to what Amy was talking about, about all of these different aspects of our life that give glory to God and are actually the gifts that he has given to us. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I would say too, something I actually started, I started doing that at the beginning of quarantine actually, but I also started just like praying Psalm 84 over myself every day. There's a lot there. I mean, there's a lot of awesome Psalms about rejoicing, but um, I think sometimes I found myself feeling like guilty for not having like right affections for God and like coming before him and like, like feeling guilty for not desiring him. I'm like, I know all you've done for me. And I just like, I, I, I can't like will up in myself these like affections for you. And I've like, like swung from frustration to like guilt in that. And I think like 
one thing that I've had to settle on is like, I, I think that just like affects all of us. Like none of us rightly desire God, like even when we're like really happy and like really rejoicing. And um, Psalm 84 just like says like, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs as faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Like blessed are those who dwell in your house ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you for a day is better a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Like there, there's so many truths in this and I just like found it really helpful to like, whether it's this Psalm or another Psalm or another passage, just like pray this over yourself every day and like beg, beg God to like give you right desires for him. Like God help, help me. Like none of us desire him rightly. If we try to do this on our own, like, of course we would get burnt out. Like God, God works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Like we need God to give us right desires for him. So I would say even just like, like pick a passage and just pray it over yourself. I mean, there's so many good ones, like Psalm 27, 42. Like there are, um, I mean, there's a lot of passages of scripture, but, um, or passages of scripture about like delighting in God. Um, but I would say, like, pray those over. And don't be, like, God's not afraid of your, like, prayers of, like, God, I'm frustrated that I can't delight you rightly. I find myself sitting in my car all the time. I'm like, God, I'm frustrated. I want to desire you, but I'm not. I'm like, please help me. So don't be scared of bringing those things before God. Yeah, and just really quick, because this is basically the exact same thing. Psalm 145 is one that is all about God's character. Um, and I remember uh, Curtis, when he was preaching, I, it, I think it might have been during the pandemic, but he said, um, in times of suffering, focus on God's character, not on your circumstances. Um, and it's something that has just stuck with me for so long. And so if you're having um, just a problem um, with suffering or just not delighting, uh, maybe just start by reading Psalm 145 every day for a week. You know, that, that's all you have to do is start reading that every day for a week, week and you're, you're going to start to see God's character really come out of that. And I think that is going to help draw you to delight. Yeah, that's so good. And even like building off what Amy, I think every morning, uh, well, it started a few weeks ago, I felt super convicted reading through Psalm 42, hearing uh, the psalmist say, as a deer pants for water to my soul thirst for you. And I read that and I was like, is that my soul? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think I'm that thirsty for God. And so I started praying for it. I said, God, make my soul this thirsty every morning for you. Help me desire you as I should. Um, and, and a real practical thing that I, I like to do to help cultivate these, this delight, these affections for God is, is really just preaching the gospel to myself. I know that sounds super broad. So I'm explaining it. But, but really, when I, I was talking about affections, like as Jonathan Edwards described it, affections dwelling like the mind and the soul and, and emotions, where emotions are just like feelings, you know. Um, so, so really preaching the gospel to cultivate this affection in your mind and soul and that helping lead to emotional affection as well is really speaking truth to yourself. Because I'll be honest, we are all sinners in this room. We all sin all the time. And what that means is all of us feed ourselves lies all the time. We tell ourselves we aren't good enough, that we aren't uh, sufficient, that we, we can't do this. We are, we are sad and we, we have no hope. We, we feed ourselves more lies than we realize. I promise you, if you don't believe it, I, I dare you to take a day and just write down all your thoughts. Just like randomly. It will scare you how many lies you're believing. 
So what I would say is you need to counteract that with truth about God and about yourself. And the way I like to do this, I've started doing this year, is, is saying out loud truths. I started with Romans 8. I started with things that said about me, like that I am a child of God. I have been adopted into God's family, that I am an heir with Christ and co-heir to the kingdom of heaven. Like feeding myself that, that out loud, like saying it so I hear it and then turn it into believing it. And then even saying, like, in the Romans 8, if God didn't withhold his own son, how, why would he withhold anything else in another way? Like, I think that has just, like, fed my soul of, like, hearing it out loud over and over again each day, preaching the gospel to myself so that I'm counteracting these lies that I'm believing that are resulting in these negative emotions. Yeah. I think that's even, like, one of my favorite passages of scriptures in Hebrews. I just go back to it a lot, and it says, like, it's basically like exhort one another every day as long as it is called today so that none of you being be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And like you said, like lies and sin, are, I mean, are just all around us and like are, are within us, right? Like our flesh is just like corrupted with sin. And so it's just so necessary to remind ourselves and remind each other. Like we need to be calling each other to like see like God is good even when you don't believe it. God is like a God of joy even when you don't believe it. Like I, I think there's just like this necessity even laid out in scripture of encouraging one another with the gospel and the truths of God, or we will fall prey to our lies. Yeah. Um, two random things. Um, if I can remember both of them. First thing, a great practice uh, where you're talking about with the lies and stuff like that. I've done this before. Um, I gave credit to Katie Strobel. It was her idea, and it was awesome. Um, but I took, I set, I think it was like 10, 15-minute timer, and I wrote down as many lies that I could possibly think of that I am believing, which is dangerous. i just tell you that. Um, and then after that 10, 15 minutes, I gave that list of lies to two of my friends. And I said, hey, I want you to write scripture on every single one of these lies. That combat says that's actually true because I, I need this because so often when we're in our head with those lies, we are, we don't, you know, we can apply scripture to other people's lives so easily. <laughs> and then we have no clue what that scripture means to us. <laughs> and so I think, you know, having other people write those scriptures is, is really, really um, helpful and, and was really helpful for me in that time. Um, the second thing that, um, I was thinking of, and, and Tanner talked about this when, in, in his talk, and I just kind of want to bring it back up, is it is wild that so often we believe that delight is anywhere but the Lord. Yeah. Like, he is the creator of good. And we go to this world time and time and time again thinking, oh man, that's going to be good. Oh, that's where the, my satisfaction is going to come from. That's going to be great. I can't wait to watch the show or I can't wait to hang out with this person that's probably not the best for me or you know we we constantly go to this world um for delight and it you know when you think about it it just makes no sense at all right you know that's why every single practical thing we've talked about up here has talked about going to the Lord is <laughs> because he's the source of all that is good and so he is the only one that is going to help us um, be able to follow his duty, but also delight in his presence. Yeah, so we're running out of time. So I, I got one final question. You got 20 seconds. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, what is just like one uh, piece of advice, just like really summarized piece of advice would you give for us to help us fight in this, holding this tension of duty and delight? 
start my 20 seconds yet. <laughs> okay, I would say, I, I would say look to like the great cloud of witnesses that has gone before us of the people, of the men and women of faith who literally throughout all history have endured by faith and have obeyed for the joy set before them. Like even talk to old believers, like read biographies of faithful men and women of God, not just people from like, America or people who look like you, but people from like all cultures, all history that have obeyed and endured for the joy set before them. Like read Hebrews 11, like by faith they endured because they were looking to the promised land and like they had like great joy in that. So I'd say there's some awesome biographies. There's some free ones on Desiring God um, that are really awesome. William Wilberforce, um, who I think Wes is talking about tonight. Um, John Patton, those are some good ones. Um, So look to great cloud of witnesses um, to encourage you. There's also a great biography in uh, the book of Matthew. Um, it's Jesus' biography. It's really good. Oh, good um, one. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, my, my last 20 seconds, hopefully, of advice um, is that you guys are not saved as individuals, but you're saved into a family. And so please use that family. Um, you know, so often we try to think, all right, I'm going to do this on my own. I, and, you know, just like we were talking about um, earlier, just this individualism um, really holds on to us really tightly. And so it's very easy to try to walk this Christian life by ourselves. Um, but the people around you are the ones that are going to be able to remind you of that scripture that is that you really need. Um, They're going to remind you of the God whose character has never changed, regardless of how your circumstances have changed. Um, And so just use the people around you and be vulnerable with the people around you. Let them know that you are not doing well. Like you don't have to wait for them to ask you before you tell it, hey, I really need to talk. I'm just not doing well. Like we're, we've all been there already and we're all going to be there so many more times in our lives. So don't, don't feel like you have to have it all together, but really use the people around you. Yeah, that's so good. And you kind of stole mine a little bit. Sorry. My my advice would just be really do keep digging into the word of God in the community of God. Applying the scriptures to your life within the family of God is something that's just invaluable, something that we're called to as Christians, and that's something that's going to grow both our delight and our duty. So really fight to do that. Uh, A book that's just really good for me, I forgot to mention this earlier about delighting, uh, if you haven't read it already, I promise you, you need to go buy it today. It's called Gentle and Lowly. It has been one of my favorite books I've read this year, and it has been so good for my soul. Just seeing the heart of Christ has for me, has developed these affections, these deep-rooted affections in truth. Not emotions, but deep affections in that way. So I would definitely encourage in that. Um, so we're going to be done in just a second. I would love to get Amy to pray for us to close this out, and then I have a few announcements for you guys. Great. God, um, Lord, we, we praise you, God. Thank you that you um, are a God who is, um, God, just delightful. God, thank you that in your presence there is fullness of joy, God, that at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore, God. Um, Lord, thank you that our walks with you aren't just this, like, like slavery to duty, um, God, without joy, Lord, but that um, what you call us to is really, really good for us, Lord. And so I... God, I just lift up everyone in this room. Lord, I pray, um, God, that you would um, fill them with joy, um, God, of who you are. Not just like the circumstantial happiness, Lord, but true, just like joy, God. True satisfaction, God, soul satisfaction that is found in just 
resting in the fact that they're saved. Um, God, they've been forgiven of their debts. Um, God, they've been made alive in Christ. God, so I pray that you would help them to walk in that. God, I pray that you would um, both like will and like work or like that you would give them the strength to will and to work. Um, God, for your good pleasure, um, Lord, that they would see you as the source and foundation for everything, Lord. Um, So I just pray that in Jesus' name, amen.